The Lord be with you. We will get started and uh, open with a quick prayer. Lord God, through the power of baptism and your word, you make us your children. Help us to understand that fully and that every day our baptism should be remembered as we fight the devil because he surely fights us. Help us see the grace you have given us through your son Jesus Christ, his suffering and death on the cross that is one for us eternal life and victory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope I don't offend anybody because I don't wear a jacket. I will gladly do so, but I just get hot. And I maybe if we put a camera in here someday, you know, and I'm live streaming on. I don't know. That would be bad for me. Um, what I've got here is basically the PowerPoint presentation I used in confirmation class this past Tuesday. I figure, hey, why not? Get it, you know, get something out of this again. Um, but it's good stuff, and it's stuff I think we forget. So it's a little bit of confirmation class, um, and I want to point out uh, some things in a new catechism that's been printed. So um, we'll start with the power of baptism. Um, my first question for them was when did you choose to be born? They all looked at me like I had two heads, and, uh, but I said, you know, hey, I, I was born December 27th, and I know I did all I could to make Christmas as miserable as possible for my mother that day, <laughs> and, you know, I was sure I was coming out in two days, uh, but no, I, I didn't get to choose the day, I didn't get to choose the time of my conception, uh, I didn't even choose that I would get to be. Uh, so it didn't happen shortly after your parents were married, and it didn't happen, uh, you didn't have any thoughts before you were born, or maybe you did unconsciously. This is embarrassing. Um, but as children, um, probably, mom, you could confirm this, six years old, five years old, um, my sister and I would talk about how we knew all these things that happened before we were born because, you know, we were looking out my mom's navel going, what's going on? You know, we had this, we knew it. No, we didn't. But we were told things that happened, and so we figured we must have known them some way, and that might have been it. But no, we don't get to choose when we're born. Um, so John 3, 1 through 15, and this is a lot but it's basically the uh, story of Nicodemus coming to Christ at night. And um, they're talking about entering a womb a second time of being born. And Jesus tells him, truly, truly, I say to you, and I point out to them that truly, truly marks uh, words you should look at closely. Uh, it's, it's like Jesus saying, here, here, look, really, really close, listen closely. But he says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do, mar do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. 
goes on to say, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, Christ himself. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Um, The lifting up of the serpent, of course, was the plague of snakes that came upon Israel as they were wandering in the wilderness, and they were biting everybody, and people were dying, and Moses was told by God, put a serpent up on a pole, and when people look at it, they'll live. Pretty simple thing to do. Um, and there were those that didn't. Serpent, pole, I'm good. I'm here in a tent, and I got a cold cloth on my head, and I'm, I'm going to live through this. No, you aren't. Um, there's stories of even women holding up their infant children and taking their faces and pointing them at this so they would look at it. They, you know, they, of their own they couldn't, but they had them look at it so they would live. Um, so what? Why is this confusing for Nicodemus? What does it mean you're born again, born from above? And it says, look at verses 3 and 5 again. Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born of water and the Spirit. And this is, this is baptism. This is how God makes us his own. Um, and John had been there baptizing, the baptism of repentance. And there was going to come a baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, after Pentecost and after the crucifixion of Christ that God would take us into his family and bring us into his family. Um, He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This... Washing and rebirth, um, it makes us new. It kills us. Um, talked about this in our sermon that we die with Christ in our baptism. And this is, next image is some of some, I said, the next image. is uh, kind of hard to see in this light. But these are old, historic, baptismal fonts, if you will, of early churches. And they were often in the shape of crosses. They had steps, you would step down into them and you would step back out on the other side. You know, we baptize babies and adults, you know, with water over their head, which is perfectly fine. Washing is not immersion, lots of things were washed. Uh, But it's simply um, a washing and they had a very representative style. When this, When this method of baptism was polluted, if you will, by those that became Baptists and said, no, you have to be immersed, you have to be fully under, and uh, Lutherans, as stubborn as we are, said, "Uh, no, we don't, and we won't, and so now we're just going to sprinkle, and it's all good and fine, and it is. But they had some very interesting imagery, if you will, in their baptism, this going into the water and dying and coming out alive. And that's what happens for us. Um, 
sin is killed in us and the power of the devil is, is killed. So, is it um, washed in water alone? And this guy's washing, somehow knows there must be more. Um, but no, it's not. It's, it's water with God's word and a promise of the forgiveness of sins that we would be rescued from death and the devil and given eternal life. Um, in the Bible, for instance, there is the washing of Naaman in the Jordan River. He was leprous, and he was told by a slave girl, you know, you go and wash in the Jordan River, and you'll be healed. You know, this has been given to me by a prophet. He's like, well, why do I want to do that? You know, we have plenty of rivers here. I'll just go wash in one of those. You know, well, no, you don't understand. You were told to go wash in the Jordan River. And uh, finally, he comes to his senses with his other people with him and their chariots and whatnot. And he goes to the Jordan River and does the simple thing he was told to do. And he is cleansed of his leprosy. And leprosy was a form of death. It was, if you had leprosy, your skin was falling off and, and you were unclean in the community because you were seen as one who was dead, or at least part of you was dead. And so his death really was cleansed and he was given life. Um, so we're given this seemingly simple thing to do where we bring infants to the waters of baptism, and we believe that God's word and that water gives them faith. And, well, that can't be possible. Come on, that kid can't say a word. Well, Luther would say, they can't say they don't believe. Are we going to say they don't believe? No. We trust God's word in what he says, and baptism is for you and your entire household. Children were in households. It's for all nations, and so they are part of all nations. So children are baptized, and that really is very good proof that it is the power of God and not the power of us to confess first. And then you go, well, well how come we just don't baptize all the adults? Well, you come to an age where you do expect someone to confess and to seek when they hear God's word. And where is that? You know, six years old, four years old. If, if you're baptizing a four-year-old that can talk, you would certainly talk to them. And yes, I, I, I love Jesus and I want my sins forgiven. And, you know, I mean, there is some understanding of what's going on. But baptism is the entry. And there is continual catechesis. It's not the beginning and the end. It's the beginning and it is the end, but you're expected to be in the body, in Christ. And I think so many times we use that saying, in Christ. You write a letter to somebody and another pastor or somebody, you write, in Christ, Pastor Jim Grady. Or, you know, blessings in Christ. Or the ways we use it. It just almost comes out of our mouth and we don't really fully grasp what baptism gives us in being in Christ. So, talk to them about being grafted. It says, therefore, if 
anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I don't know what happened to science class in the past, you know, 40 years, but they don't have any concept of what grafting is. And my wife's grandfather had apple trees and grapevines, and he grafted things. He did it for the fun of it. And he would take a clipping out of this apple tree, and he would make a cut, similar probably to something like this. He would put that branch over here on this other apple tree. And it's commonly done because you have the stock, and I, we never should have cut all these down, Mom. Master gardener. We used to have some weeping cherries out here in that memorial garden. And they had a graft. And it, would, it looked like a knot about this far above the ground. And everything above that knot was grafted into that rootstock. And so everything above was something they wanted to flourish, but that couldn't flourish on its own well, you know, in its own way, on its previous rootstock. So they would take a tree that had real strong roots, they would graft the top of this into that real strong root, and that real strong root would give that life and give it sustainability. Well, that's what you do with these apple trees. You take something that makes a, you know, has the capability to make a good apple, but it has no root or can't sustain itself, either because of disease or because of its susceptibility to climate, and you give it something that has a sturdier rootstock. Well, as creatures born in this world under sin, we are in total depravity in terms of knowing God. We can't come to him. I said in the sermon, we're blind, dead enemies of God. And when we're baptized, us blind, dead enemies of God are really sort of cut out of this world and grafted into Christ, where we then have this life given to us by the power of the vine that we are put in. I am the vine, you are the branches. Take this branch stock that's dead over here, put it in here, and it's given life. So that's really what happens to us in baptism. So when we say we are in Christ, we are all in this one vine, if you will. We're all connected. And if you look at the, uh, in our confessions, the uh, communion of saints, this is really where this is, that, that we are all together in one body in Christ. Um, so whether we are communing here or we're communing in Florida on vacation, we're all together in Christ. Um, one body. The... Um, so what does baptism indicate? It indicates the old Adam in us should be, by daily contrition and repentance, be drowned and be die with all sins, evil desires, and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. I, I read this in confirmation class and it kind of hit me, and I'd read it, and I typed it. But what's the interesting word in that first long sentence? It indicates that. 
I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm living a righteous and pure life daily. It indicates that the old Adam and I should die daily by, by daily contrition and repentance. If I was perfect, I wouldn't daily have to have contrition and repentance. But it's something we do daily because we sin. We continue to sin. We're this new creation in Christ, but this old Adam in us just loves the world. And it's a struggle. It's a constant struggle. Um, so daily we should remember our baptism. And this new man should daily emerge. You think that's a one-time event. And a lot of people want to believe it's a one-time event. But our being brought into Christ is. But this is our sanctification that takes place as we seek. And we will always do it unsuccessfully to be more and more like Christ in this life. Because if we could be like Christ in this life, we wouldn't need Christ. But we can't. So where is this written? St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. So what does that life look like? I'm a graphic person. I pulled this off the web. I don't know where, but I liked it. Um, we live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Left-hand side is Christ and all his wonderful attributes, if you will. And I'm not going to say all those are perfectly Lutheran, but uh, they certainly are different than what's on the other side, where you have some of it coming into us, but we're still broken, we're still prideful, we're unhappy, we're angry, we're in darkness, and we're dissatisfied, and we're weak. And I, I, the one that I don't see there, that's how I know it's not Lutheran, doesn't say sinful, um, but that's what we are. Um, so it's this, this constant battle um, where our flesh fights against what Christ has given us. And that's, that's the temptation of the devil. Um, with the old Adam, all of us as fallen creatures have inherited a complete and total corruption of our created nature from Adam. Uh, the result is unbelief and rebellion against God the Creator. And, you know, here's one of these images of Adam and Eve being sent, banished from the garden. Uh, God has clothed them even already to hide their shame. So, a measure of mercy even in that. Um, so what's the new man? A restored creature of God in Christ, united with Christ by washing and rebirth, which results in spirit-created attitudes, desires, and actions. For Second Corinthians says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Well, if the new has come... Why do we fight? And why is it so hard? It's because the old is still there with us, as we saw in the previous slide. Um, 
So what's happening is that we have this ongoing, this is what it looks like, an ongoing basically life and death struggle with the devil. The devil will do everything in his power to tell us that we are not worthy of what we've already been given and have. He will constantly, and you know, I mentioned some things in this sermon, you know, that, oh, depression or, you know, different things that happen to us and the devil does to us and tempts us to, but his greatest power is to find something that you feel guilt for and then just nail it. Just tell you, well, yeah, look at you. Look what you've done. I mean, look, look, at, the, look at the mess you've made of this situation, whatever it is, and, and, and you think God still loves you? You think that he wants you? You think that he wants you in heaven with him? And he just causes us to despair. And, and, and what happens is, whatever that thing is, may have given some pleasure in some way, or we found some satisfaction, we say, well, yeah, I guess so. So I'm, I'm going back to that, to find some comfort. Instead, <clears throat> What we have to do is simply tell the devil, no, you're wrong, because I'm a child of God. Not because I think so, because God says so. That I'm a new man, a new woman, and God has made me that. And what the devil tells you is a lie. And this happens every day. Every day we get up and I don't think I swore at the gal that hit my car this week. I really don't think I did. It was more of a like, what the heck's happening? But, you know, roundabouts, I don't know. <laughs> I like roundabouts. It's just that I was in this lane and she was in this lane and she was supposed to. And she decided she wanted to go that way and it wasn't really right. Yeah, she changed her mind. <laughs> Drove up on the top of the front of my car. Um, but, um, yeah. Um, I, can't, I can say I didn't have the most warmest regard for her at that moment. And that certainly was sin. Um, you know, but cars aren't that big a deal, I guess. So uh, it'll get fixed. Life goes on. And uh, I'm forgiven for that. But... Uh, there are much deeper things than that in our, each of our lives that trouble us. And it may be something, I mean, you can see what's happened in the news, people getting stuff unpacked from decades ago. And it troubles them. Well, who was the, I, I don't keep up on stars and TV and movies. I was going to make a reference in my sermon, actually, and I, it was going to be at a movie, and you're under 50, you'd never get it because it would have been to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And I'm like, you know, who is that guy? And so who are those guys? Um, yeah, nobody would have gotten that one. Um, but where was I? Stars. Stars, history, yeah. Um, I don't really watch this stuff, but 
there was some uh, Hollywood type and been in movies and whatnot. And I mean, the hammer was falling on him. And uh, he was getting ready to be sent to prison for a bunch of years for molesting children. And uh, he went down to, I don't know, Hollywood River or wherever down there and decided to take his own life. And, I mean, that's basically the devil telling you, you are worthless. There's nothing in you of any value. And the hard thing for us to understand is that as difficult as that person's earthly struggle may be, that there is even forgiveness for them. Um, you know, this, this uh, scene in a courtroom last week with this uh, doctor who's been accused of molesting all these girls in gymnastics, and, you know, this father jumped the fence in the courtroom and wanted to take this guy out. And I guess this guy was a big, you know, 6'4", wearing his UAW jacket, and um, it took like three officers to take him down. I think he just barely got a hand on this guy. And... Um, you know, there, there's even forgiveness for that guy he was trying to attack. If he can just hear the gospel and come to faith and believe, um, if he can be given that gift. Thief on the cross. You know, last minute confession. And, you know, today you'll be with me in paradise. So I, I don't know that we can always understand that. But, but the, knowing that that we can look at whatever it is in our life that, that the devil just wants to say, nah, you're no good, you, you know, this isn't for you, it's not, you're not good enough. That's where we have to remember our baptism. <clears throat> and uh, that ends the struggle, really. You know, just daily, daily, daily. To that point, let me see what this last slide, slide was. We'll get there. What does our baptism make our life look like as we daily remember it? In the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit. Um, I was never raised to cross myself. I don't know if that was being Lutheran, being raised in the 60s and it was too Catholic or something. But this sign of the cross that you remember your baptism in. You know, when you're an infant, you're given sign of the cross on your forehead and on your heart to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. And to daily do that when you get up in the morning and remember, I, I've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I've been given that name. Um, it's a very powerful image to make on yourself. Um, just something to consider. The uh, and we're going to sing, by the way. That's why you have a hymn in front of you. I just looked at this hymn when I was, we'll talk this real quick, as I was going over this material. Um, God's own child, I gladly say it. I am baptized into Christ. I mean, that's just the theme of the whole thing. Um, he, because I could not pay it, gave me full redemption price. Do I need earth's treasures? Many. I have one with more than, worth more than any that brought brought me salvation, free, lasting to eternity. Um, let's see, Satan's 
uh, sin disturb my soul no longer. I am baptized into Christ. I have comfort even stronger. Jesus' cleansing sacrifice. Should a guilty conscience seize me since my baptism did release me in a dear forgiving flood sprinkled me with Jesus' blood? Satan, hear this proclamation. And I mean, this is, this is Luther. You know, he just, I'm baptized. Satan, hear this proclamation. I am baptized into Christ. Exclamation points beside every one of those. Um, drop your ugly accusation. I am not so soon enticed. Now that to the font I've traveled, all your might has come unraveled and against your tyranny, God, my Lord, unites with me. I don't unite with him. He unites with me. He grafts me. Um, <laughs> were you in first service? You heard of my fun with the confirmation class? I don't think they'd ever seen that. But uh, <laughs> Shelly's Jack comes home from confirmation class, and she was in, Tuesday morning, she's in Bible study, and, and I start talking about this, and she goes, Jack came home, and she goes, I, I asked him, I said, what happened to confirmation class? He, goes, he didn't tell me any of this. <laughs> that Pastor Grady got up on a table in the back of the library and laid there and played dead, you know, like, okay, I guess it wasn't quite the impression I wanted, but uh, I just keep hammering him, you know, whatever. Um, anyway, we'll sing that. As soon as Phil gets here. Unless you all want to sing a cappella. Nah. We'll wait for some accompaniment. Um, how many of you have seen this new small catechism? Heard about it? I don't know. As with anything that comes out from Concordia or anybody, there's those that go, yeah, yeah, but... I don't know. Well, yeah, but. I mean, you know, this is the one we've used in confirmation for several years. And it's good. It's very good. And it, and, and it has, you know, proof texts and the questions and the explanations. But this one, I like a great deal. This one. All may not agree. Um, but if you look at just the sixth commandment, um, regarding marriage, um, you shall not commit adultery. Well, this one has uh, about two, three, four, three and a half pages, and this one has one. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve pages on marriage. I think in today's culture we need maybe twenty pages on marriage, but they did twelve. And this one. Um, simply the sixth commandment you shall not commit adultery meaning and then it has these bold you know red print kind of points and questions how do we lead a sexually pure and decent life 
What does God forbid in the sixth commandment? Uh, Forbids divorce except for marital unfaithfulness. God forbids sexual intercourse between unmarried persons. God forbids sexual sins such as rape, homosexual activity, incest, child abuse, sex abuse, obscenity, and the use of pornographic materials. Next uh, build heading, what does God require of us in the sixth commandment? God requires us to avoid all temptations to sexual sin. God requires us to be clean in what we think and, and say. God requires us to use our sexual in ways pleasing to him. Um, what does God require, especially of married people? And God requires married people to love, honor, and respect each other. The wife is the husband's God-given helper, and the husband is the wife's God-given head. I'm just going to read through the uh, bigger ones. It does something here, the central thought. Okay, I'm not just going to read just there. But it goes into a little more thinking on this. God created us to live faithfully as male and female by respecting his purpose for sexuality and activity within the context of marriage. Uh, and then it gives you some questions. Is marriage between a man and a woman held in high regard today? Why or why not? And I mean, it goes back to Genesis where this is just the start. Uh, what is marriage? What is adultery? Does the commandment apply only to husbands and wives? No. It applies to all people, um, whether married or not. How do we fear and love God in keeping the sixth commandment? Treating our bodies as holy, set apart for the purpose of God, which created us male and female, not as objects that serve our selfish desires. Um, Reserving sexual intercourse for marriage rather than before outside of marriage. There's just a whole lot more in here pertinent to our time. Why are we single or married to respect the fact that God established marriage and created us as male and female? Man, that's just, that's such a a topic for youth of today where, you know, marriage is just, wants to be drugged down to nothing. Um, And then it has a connections and applications. What does our created nature, natural law, teach us about marriage? What does the Bible affirm about people who are not married? Uh, what is the Christian view of living together apart from marriage? Cohabitation. You know, talk, talking to guys up at the sim, this is the biggest thing pastors face when people come to them to be married, is that they're living together. I don't know, you know, I don't know how many of us did it, but I mean, they're living together, and, and they're not taught no. They're not taught this is wrong. They're not taught the reasons. They'll be told, you know, you shouldn't do this, but they don't understand that this goes all the way back to Genesis, and it really is the model for Christ and his church. That marriage is, you know, Christ is the bridegroom, the church is the bride, and it just, they go together all the way through. Um, Gosh, we aren't even on page eight. What should husbands and wives do when they struggle in marriage? What does the Bible say about divorce and remarriage? What are some of the dangers or temptations that pornography poses today? And this is a huge, you know, it used to be guys going into some strange store on the seedy side of town. And now it's so available, so readily available. It's, it's like women are almost the number one consumers of it because they aren't fulfilled in some way. And they go looking for something. But it, it, there's, you think of it as a, men, a men's thing, but that's not the case totally. 
Um, what is the Christian perspective on persons who are confused about their sexual identity? Guarantee you that question isn't in here. You know, but people who are confused. You know, that's, that's, that's a kind of a, a gentle way of putting it, I think. You know, you're confused. <laughs> just, you know, let's get you unconfused. Um, so, yeah, it's just, and a lot of it's like that. They just go deeper into things. Um, so, yeah. It's worth taking a look at. I'm using both because I can glean a lot of good information out of that new one to bring to the youth. I haven't uh, taught a confirmation class on my own, so it, it's good for me. And, and I think it's, it's even good for parents because it gives you talking points to bring forth with your kids. Um, uh-oh. Phil's not here. <laughs> hey! <laughs> we don't have to sing alone, thank you. <laughs> Acapella is not my strong point. But I thought we would just uh, sort of close with this hymn uh, because I think it is a very strong statement of what God gives us in baptism and makes us his child. And I thought I printed about 55 of these. If you don't have one, look on with somebody. There you go. I, I, I couldn't say it better than that. I'm just close with a blessing. Lord, bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.